Good morning, church. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. We are in the final chapter of our series in First Peter. Hardships, holiness, and hope. Lord willing, we will finish up First Peter next week. And then in December, we will kick off our Christmas series entitled, Peace on Earth. So that is what is coming up. If you've been tracking with us, you know that Peter's letter, while it's a shorter letter in the New Testament, it is packed with gospel-saturated instruction and teaching, guidance for local churches on how to live in a life, uh, how to live in a world full of trials, a world where we are bombarded with temptations both inside our own hearts and outside of our hearts, in a world that is full of brokenness and despair. And Peter's writing saying, Christians, we can have a hope, a living hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for us, his resurrection from the dead, not only has enough power to give us strength for every single day now, but it gives us a living hope of our, uh, of our inheritance that will never fade and is kept in heaven for us. And so he's writing to us to keep holding on to the gospel as we endure as we pursue holiness and as we live in hope. Today, Peter turns his focus on the role of leaders within the church or the elders. And so today's message, faithful shepherds, humble flock. Now here's the challenge of talking about leadership in general and then leadership in the church. The challenge is that many of us have a negative view of leaders. Generally, those in authority are viewed with skepticism and cynicism, right? Whether it's in the realm of government and politics or law enforcement or business, right? CEOs or even educational institutions. We don't typically praise people who are in charge. We criticize them, right? I'm just being honest. It's what we do. Why is that? Well, it's complicated, but a, a number of reasons. One of them is, often it's because of bad leadership. Many people have been hurt because of a poor leader. And the church is no exception. 
So many stories in here and obviously around the world of how religious leaders have acted with, without integrity or abusing their authority. And by in here, I mean people here who have had stories in their past of men and women abusing their authority. Lots of baggage when it comes to leadership, especially within the church. Honestly, it grieves me to know that leaders just like me have inflicted incredible pain knowingly or unknowingly. But it's not always bad leadership. There is something, like I said earlier, there's something in the human heart that really bristles against authority. We want freedom. Freedom from anything that would, that would seem to kind of put us in a place, that would seem to kind of um, keep us in, in a lane. And we, we want to break free from that sort of thing. It's, it's very common for us to say, we don't want authority structures. Let us choose what we get to do. And yet when you read the Bible, you see that the Bible teaches that God places leaders in positions of authority for our good. Right? Leadership is actually meant to be a gift from the Lord. And just because they're bad leaders does not mean that we don't need faithful leaders, especially within the church. I pray that even today, some of you would find healing from a painful situation or experience that you had with a church leader. God's church should strive to raise up leaders and honor those leaders as they faithfully serve. And that's and what I love about Grace Baptist Church is that's what our church has been doing for 57 years. In fact, that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to gather together as members and we're going to present six men who have served faithfully and honorably in various capacities and we're going to present them as candidates for elders, pastors, lay elders, godly men who have the character qualifications and the gifting to shepherd this congregation along the elders that are currently in place. Listen, I get it. Leaders are flawed. Just like everyone else. If I had a mirror this morning, I'd put it right in front of me because I know in many ways I'm preaching to myself today. Leaders will have bad days. They will falter. But ultimately, God places imperfect leaders in the church and by His grace, and listen, only by His grace does He use them to bring about the flourishing of His church. My personal testimony is I've seen bad leaders in the church as well. My dad was the chairman of the deacons when I was really young, and I, I didn't know all of the story, but I, I knew at, at a child that there was a pastor that I, I, as a kid, I was sitting in this sanctuary, and I loved hearing his preaching, and then he left, and I come to find out that he had lied about his educational background when he applied to the church. One of my youth pastors, whom I loved dearly and helped discipled me, when I went off to college, found out that in the years following that he embezzled Lots of money from the church. And yet, and yet, my testimony is that when I lost my dad at an early age, and I was just spiritually broken and, and lost, trying to figure out how can a good God allow so much pain? How am I going to make it in life? The person whom God brought into my life and he used to bring healing and hope for my wounded heart was a pastor. Pastor Bobby Owings befriended me as a, as a student. He loved me. He listened to my story. He earned my trust. And through his 
pastoral care, I experienced a healing I never thought possible. It was through his public ministry of the word in preaching and through his personal ministry in discipling and counseling that actually God awakened in me a vision for my life to, to pursue pastoral ministry and not medicine. So listen, I have similar testimonies as many of you do, but I know that by God's grace, he can use even imperfect men to lead his church and to beautify his bride. Would you join with me in looking at 1 Peter 5 as we see together Peter's teaching on the role of pastors and how the church should respond to their pastors. Notice verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Lesson number one, elders are called to faithfully shepherd God's people. We're going to look at, in this lesson, the elder's work, the elder's heart, and the elder's reward. But notice Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, and then in verse 2, shepherd the flock, and then notice exercising oversight. He uses three terms there that are actually interchangeable. Elder, where are we? All right, elders, shepherds, and overseers. Can you go to that? There's a slide in there. It says elders, shepherds, and overseers are used interchangeably in the New Testament, and they're all used to describe the same office. So elder, shepherd, and overseer. Paul uses the same terms in 1 Timothy 3, in Acts 20. All, these terms are used interchangeably to refer to the same office. So when, you, when I say elder or pastor or overseer, I'm referring to the same office, the same role, the same function. Here at Grace, we call them pastors or elders. But notice Peter actually begins this section with the word so, or you could say therefore, which means it's a follow-up to the previous section which he talked about suffering for Christ. In chapter 4, verse 12, Peter taught us to not be surprised by the fiery trials that will test our faith. So what's the connection between suffering for Christ and this teaching on elders? I think part of the connection is that as leaders of God's church, elders are to bear the brunt of of such trials and even persecution. They're to lead the way. But probably in Peter's day, they were singled out for such persecution. Maybe the connection reiterates further the point that in the midst of fiery trials, we should see all the more the need for faithful elders leading the church. Peter is speaking directly to the elders in verse 1, and he even identifies himself as a fellow elder. This is strange because Peter is also an apostle. Right? He was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, and he could have easily acknowledged his authority as an apostle. Right? In Ephesians, it talks about the foundation of the church is Christ, the cornerstone, and the foundation of the apostles. But Peter doesn't say that. He shows great humility by saying, Look, I'm one of you, I'm a fellow elder. Not only that, he says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This goes beyond humility now. Peter brings up the most shameful part of his story. 
You know the story. Peter didn't just witness the sufferings of Christ. When it mattered most, after Peter said to Jesus, his best friend, his Lord, I will never deny you. I will never leave you, Jesus. And then in the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed and on trial, and Peter is there by the fire, outside the gates watching, and he's asked three times, you, you were with him, weren't you? You know Jesus. You're one of his followers. Three times Peter denied his friend his Lord. Yeah, he was, a witness in, he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, but he's admitting his failure in witnessing it. Why does he bring this up? Why bring up his shameful past? Why bring up the, the part of his past that, that he could have just overlooked? I think it was a way of saying to all the other elders who would come after him, listen, Peter's saying, listen, elders, your primary qualification for leadership is not your perfection. It's your keen awareness of your brokenness. A.W. Tozer, whom I quote often, said this, pastor in the middle of the 20th century, he said, it is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Peter knew what it was like to be wounded. He betrayed his Lord. And yet instead of covering it up here, he says, that's a part of what prepared me to faithfully and humbly shepherd God's flock. And I think the same goes for all of our pastors. You know, when we've interviewed pastors in the past here, that, and then I've been a part of it, and I'll take them out to lunch or coffee, and I'll, I'll sit with them. One of the things I'm li- listening for is not just how good they are at the job and, and whether they have the skill sets. I'm actually listening for something people think is really strange. I'm listening for brokenness. Not flagrant sin, right? Not a habit of, of rebellion. No, I'm, I'm looking for something in their life that has left some level of scar, some wound, something that is, has reminded them that they are deeply in need of God's grace as their only hope to redeem their life. What is the primary work of such elders that Peter says he is one of them? Their primary work, Peter tells us in verse 2, And I'll summarize it this way. An elder's work is to know, lead, feed, and protect the flock. Peter says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the primary calling. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice the elders don't shepherd their own flock. It's God's flock. We, As pastors, as elders, we're stewards of God's church. We're not owners. It doesn't belong to us. Jesus said, I will build my church. He claims ownership. And the picture that Peter gives is the word shepherd. The Bible is full of rich imagery of shepherds. It's God in Psalm 23. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's Jacob in Genesis 48 when he, at the end of his life, you know, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He got knocked in the hip. He limped the rest of his life. He was a, you know, he was a cheat. He was a steal. He was lying. At the end of his life, you know what he says in Genesis 48? God has been my shepherd all of my life. Jesus stands up in front of a crowd and says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. Shepherd, it's 
The word pastor is the, is, the noun, is the verb form of shepherd. You pastor, you shepherd the flock. What do shepherds do? They know and lead and feed and protect their flock. Number one, they know their flock. Shepherds know the sheep under their care. It's why Jesus gave the parable, a shepherd had a hundred sheep and one went missing. Why would he even, how would he even know? Because he counts, he knows them by name. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I know why you brought that verse up, Mark. You want us to hear, obey your leaders and submit to them. No. Although that is in there. I can't avoid that. The most sobering part of this verse, I can assure you, is that it says that as a pastor, I will be held accountable to God for how I shepherd your soul. We are to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. That is the local church. It's one of the reasons why here at Grace we practice meaningful membership. It's why, we met, it's why we have a membership covenant. And some of you bristle at the word covenant. It simply means promise. We've made promises to God and to one another. So we can know who are we responsible to shepherd. We certainly care about our community. You, we know, you saw that yesterday and then throughout the year. We love our community and we will keep meeting needs as best we can by God's grace and what he provides. And we love doing that. But listen, as elders, our primary responsibility, whom we are accountable to God for, are the men and women who have made a commitment to this local church. Did you know that the elders of grace regularly pray for our members by name? We want to know you so we can care for you. Some of you we only know by name. And we want to get to know you better. If we have, listen, if I have never met you, this might be dangerous, if I have never met you, would you please reach out to me? This week is thanks to me. In the next couple weeks, would you please reach out to me? I would love to meet you or talk to you by phone. Yesterday, we were giving out the Assignments for Grace Gifts Thanksgiving edition, and I called out a name, and I know them. I see them. I've seen their picture in the directory. And so I said hello to them, and he goes, you know, we've actually never met. I said, oh, I've, I've been praying for you. And so we, we you know, bump our shoulders. Let's meet. Let's get to meet sometime. Shepherds need to know their sheep. Shepherds also need to lead their sheep. Leadership. That means making decisions about where we're going as a church. It means planning how we will disciple each other into maturity. It means setting the direction of the church. Just like a shepherd has to lead his sheep to quiet waters or green pastures, the sheep don't do that on their own. In fact, they typically wander. Shepherds are to lead in the church. Thirdly, shepherds are to feed the sheep by offering a steady diet of God's Word. This is paramount to the role of a pastor. Without food, sheep starve. Listen, I, I don't know how else to say this. Preaching and teaching God's Word is the primary calling of a, pre, of a pastor elder. 
I know we have many responsibilities and I don't want to minimize any of them, whether it's counseling, caring, praying, other things, but nothing, nothing is more central to our work as a pastor than to feed God's people on God's word. And we have to fight to protect that because so many other needs can be overwhelming. In fact, feeding God's sheep is, I think, exactly what Peter has in mind when he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Remember John 21, after Peter had blown it, right? And he's thinking, I'm done. I'm never going to be able to serve Jesus again. I'm going fishing. And Jesus shows up after he had risen from the dead, and he, and he, and he calls him out in the, in, the, in the boat. Hey, it's me. And Peter's like, it's Jesus? And he jumps into the water, swims over to the shore, and you know, they're having fish for breakfast. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? You remember? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what does he say? Feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus asks him, do you really love me? And three times he says, feed my sheep. The apostles understood this after Jesus had ascended in Acts 6-4 when the, the apostles had to set up the, the role of deacons in Acts 6. The reason why they say that is says that we need to uh, set up institute deacons to care for the practical needs, uh, some of the financial needs uh, of our members. Why? Because we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The goal is that God's flock is nourished so that their faith grows stronger and their hope grows deeper and their love grows wider. By the way, this feeding can happen in a variety of settings. Small groups, Bible studies, one-on-one um, -on -one relationships, children's ministry, youth ministry, Sunday services. Finally, shepherds are to protect the sheep from predators. David talks about this when he tells King Saul, that he's up for the job to go against Goliath. He says, I've had to protect my sheep from dangerous predators who would seek to destroy them. Pastors are to warn the church about false teaching and false teachers, to protect us from error, to make sure that we're doctrinally staying sound, and they're called to protect the sheep from predators outside the church and from within the church. Again in Acts 20, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This is not a pleasant part of our role, to have to be on guard and have to warn people outside and inside if they are seeking to divide the church, if they're seeking to cause a wedge in the church, if they're teaching something that goes against Scripture and goes against our doctrine, it is our calling and our duty to protect the sheep, and I promise you as best we can, we will do that. Sometimes it involves church discipline for a wayward brother or sister to restore them Man, knowing, leading, feeding, and protecting is a monumental task. But Peter has one, has more to say than just their work. Now he turns from their work to their heart, an elder's heart. And he mentions three temptations, three common temptations for pastors. The first is a temptation to serve out of obligation, maybe even laziness. And then he'll talk about greed and pride. 
Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Peter says no one should serve as an elder who's not willing to do it, first of all. You know, a pastor can go into ministry with a zeal to serve the Lord. But they might find that sometimes sheep don't want to be led. And over time, that zeal can wane and they start to do ministry out of obligation. Rather than willingness. They're looking for some kind of external kind of praise. What, What can motivate me? Or honestly, sometimes pastors get lazy. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Elders, don't go sluggish on your duties now. Don't wait until someone tells you to do something. When you see a need, meet it to the best of your ability. By the way, this is why at Grace we look for men who are already doing the work of elder without having the title yet. You want to know who, who might be a good candidate for being an elder? We want men who are willingly doing the work of discipling and teaching and caring already. Second, pastors are not, are to shepherd, he says, Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Faithful pastors are motivated by their love for God and love for people, not love for money. Now, just to make sure we're clear on what we're saying and not saying, Paul makes it clear in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. He goes on to say in the next verse, the labor is worth his hire. So, this means that some elders should get paid for the work that they do of eldering. Also, by the way, this points out that that. There should be a plurality of elders. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There are some elders in that church who didn't labor in preaching and teaching, but they were still lay elders. But it should make sense to us, as a church grows, some men should be set aside to give themselves fully to the work of shepherding, knowing and leading and feeding and protecting that the church might be built up. But Peter is saying, what he's warning here is he's warning against elders not to take advantage of their paid position. He's saying, don't be motivated by greed. Shameful gain is what he says. Shameful gain, I think, is when a pastor takes advantage of a church or Christians financially. You know what shameful gain really is? You want a a very clear example? It's when you turn on the TBN and you hear that preacher, that man or woman who tells you that you should give them $78.23 and you will receive a sevenfold blessing. That's shameful gain. Do not give them your money. Shameful gain is when someone falsely prophesies about something, about your money, and that you need to sow a seed, and all kinds of horrible, ridiculous stuff, and they prey on innocent Christian, all the while they're living in extravagance in their own private jets, and they're begging you for their money. That's shameful gain. And if you ever hear any of us do that, you better warn us and rebuke us. This is a challenge to pastors like us, to remember we don't work to get a paycheck. We do our work to honor Christ. Our elders here are called by this church to pastor this flock eagerly. 
as Peter says. And we are to trust God's people to provide eagerly for us however you see fit. Finally, pastors are to lead, Peter says, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He's talking about a hard attitude, not, not leading with pride. One of the most important ways that an elder leads a church is by setting an example for how to live the Christian life. Well, someone was at my church the other day, uh, sorry, at, my church, at my home the other day. It feels like church because everybody's there. Uh, someone was at my home the other day and they were working on a bathroom that we've been renovating and they made the comment and they said, you know, my wife and I were talking and we realized your, your life is like you live in a glass bowl. Like everyone sees everything you do. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And he's like, I mean, people are in your house all the time. Did that person even call? No, they just showed up. It's great. I love it. I mean, we're used to it. But that person was like, that should never happen. Never, not to me at least. Like, don't come to my house unannounced, right? Call, text, whatever. But it's very true. Like, our lives are on display. It's, 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 you should see us in the community. You should see how we treat our families for good or for ill. You should treat, see how we spend our money. It should, it's on display. I can tell you where Pastor Brady lives. Three streets, three houses down from Dyer Place. Visit him anytime. <laughs> Pastor Bill lives in the O section, okay? Visit him anytime. Pastor Jamie's in the C section. Visit him anytime. Pastor Andrew's in Crofton. Pray for him. He's, uh, he'll get there. We're discipling him. Where, where am I in my notes? Where am I? We're called to lead by example. We're not called to domineer. We're not called to be harsh. I mean, we make mistakes. For sure. But our calling is to lead by example, to lead with humility. When we're praised and when we're attacked, to lead by example. When the fiery trial comes, elders, don't run from it or ignore it. Walk through it with your sheep. Now the reality is that being a pastor is incredibly challenging. Pastors battle discouragement all the time. But whether it's a lack of conversions or people leaving the church or criticism or gossip or financial struggles. And listen, COVID has only increased the stress and the struggles. I mentioned a couple weeks ago a study that suggested more pastors may leave the ministry this year than any other time in history. I found out this week that a pastor in our association who leads a very strong church had to be removed from leadership because of an inappropriate relationship. Honestly, church, I hear pastors leaving every week. And you can ask my wife. It hurts, it hurts me deeply. I, it's one of the things, it's one of my, it, it hurts. Sometimes I can't shake it. The, the fear that, um, that I won't finish well the danger of ministries, ministry is great. And for so many years, you know, as a young pastor, I wanted, I wanted to see God do great things, to build up his church in spectacular ways. And I still want that. But honestly, more and more, I'm praying, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to finish well. Help me to love my wife and my kids, to serve and lead my church family with integrity. And it's almost as if Peter 
understands the weightiness of what he just said, both for the pastor's work and for a pastor's heart. And he understands, listen, after hearing this exhortation, you're going to feel a heaviness, and you want to. And so he says, in verse 4, Elders, there's one thing you must do that will sustain everything else you are called to do. And that is this. Keep looking to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter doesn't promise elders earthly reward for their faithful labor. Instead, he calls them to look beyond this life. We just sang in that song, fix your eyes on him, our soul's reward. Shepherds are sheep too. And they need a chief shepherd. And this is meant to bring humility and confidence. Pastors are not the chief shepherd. We're not in control. He is. Praise God for that. Praise God the church doesn't rise and fall on my flawed ability to lead. But on his perfect ability to lead. The motivation is that elders would pour themselves out for their sheep with an earth, not with an earthly reward in mind, but with a heavenly reward, an unfading crown of glory. In Peter's day, those who were victorious in athletics, in sports, or in battle were given a special crown, a special honor. It was an outward sign of honor and glory. If you had one of those crowns, everyone said, Woohoo, you're awesome! Look at that guy! It's sort of like, you know, you know, if you win a championship nowadays, you get one of those fancy rings, right? And, you gotta, and if you wear the ring, and you're watching them, and, and NFL guys are wearing that ring, you know, oh, they were the great. They were the greatest. They, they made something special of their lives. But you know what? A ring, a crown, it's very temporary, isn't it? In fact, as, as awesome as it was, right, for the Nats to win the championship, when, when it's all said and done, like, now it's another team. And now it's another team, and then another team. And then it's like, oh yeah, remember when they won? Who even played that year? I don't even remember. Shepherds are to trust their chief shepherd to reward them one day with an inheritance that will never fade. A crown of glory. And then Peter shifts. He says, elders, don't just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Congregation, here's what you have to do. Here's what your calling looks like. And this is our second lesson, final lesson. God's people are called to cultivate humility. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As the elders exercise faithful and caring leadership, it makes sense for Peter to remind the church to submit to that leadership. He, notice he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Scholars debate, is he talking about younger in age or younger in spiritual maturity? I think the best interpretation is younger in age. It seems as though Peter is singling out the group within the, within the church that would be most likely to resist the authority of the elders. Those of you who are younger, he says. In other words, Peter assumes that older saints should be, notice, should be more mature in their faith and should have a healthier view of biblical leadership. Thus, less inclined to create problems in the church. 
By the way, this is the fourth time that Peter says, submit to an authority, be subject to an authority. Governing authorities, masters, wives to husbands, and now church to elders. And also notice all four authorities are flawed. And yet, according to God, all are deserving of respect. Submission is rooted in humility. We know as Christians, humility is central to our discipleship process. Submission to elders does not mean you can't disagree with them. We are flawed. We have blind spots. We miss things often. And if you have a concern or disagreement, come talk to us, please. And if we still disagree on a secondary matter, that's where submission and humility should prevail. If we, if we disagree on a, on a gospel issue, on a central tenant issue, then we need to figure out what's going on. And we are held by our doctoral statement as a church. But if we disagree on a secondary issue, and through our prayerful discussion, there's, there's still this disagreement, at the end of the day, we have to learn to disagree honorably and respectfully. Can I just share four ways, quick ways, that you can humbly relate to your pastors. Four short things. Respect them. In other words, how do you respect your pastors? In ways you may not realize. Be attentive to their teaching. Children, students, be attentive when they're teaching. Refuse to engage in rumors and grumbling. That's how you can respect them. Squash backbiting when you hear it. Gossip and slander when it comes up, and it will come up. Love your pastors. Show them that you care in practical ways. Be a joy to your pastors. This is Hebrews 13, 17. It says, let them do their work with joy, because if not, it's it's no good for you. Don't let them do their work with groaning. Be a joy to them. In other words, serve faithfully. Show up. Give generously. Resist being overly critical. And then finally, pray for them. If you say, I can't do anything else. I, don't, I can't love them, respect them. Then I would say, okay, just pray for us. Just pray for us. Charles Spurgeon said, you know, he, at Metropolitan Baptist Church in the middle of the 1800s, uh, one of my spiritual heroes, very successful, right? 18,000 people. I mean, tens of thousands of people came to Christ under his, his ministry. And he was asked, what is the secret to your success? And you know what he said of all the things, right? He was a great orator. He wrote a ton of stuff. He said, the secret to my success is that my people pray for me. Pastors are engaged in a spiritual battle most people cannot fathom. Please pray. By the way, this church does an amazing job at all four of these. Can I just tell you that on behalf of all the pastors, you guys do an amazing job respecting, loving, being a joy, and praying for us. I, I can't imagine doing ministry anywhere else. Peter ends the section with the final, he says, finally all of you, just to be clear, all of you means all of you, pastors and members, clothe yourself with humility. Put on humility. Put it on. Pastors can't lead well without humility. Members can't submit well without humility. It's the defining mark of a Christian. Why? Because it's the defining mark of Jesus. You have to wonder if Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. Maybe he's thinking of John 13, when the night before Jesus betrayed, he gets down and clothes himself literally with a towel and washes his disciples' feet. 
He washes their feet. The one who had all authority gets down and humbles himself. Are we above our master? We can humble each ourselves before each other. Because Jesus not only humbled himself physically, but he actually did it spiritually, and he went to death on the cross. He died in the greatest act of humility, Philippians 2 tells us. The greatest authority, the chief shepherd, the perfect pastor, was rejected, falsely accused, and crucified. Why did he have to die? To cleanse us from our sin. He took our sin on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, death. And now, if you and I will turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, he gives us a new heart, a heart that can humbly submit, a heart that can joyfully serve, a heart that can love and forgive. Do you realize, church, when we all clothe ourselves with humility, when there are faithful pastors and a humble flock serving together, there is no obstacle or trial that can stop us from shining the gospel for each other, and for our community. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are looking to you, the chief shepherd. We need you. We need you. We love you. Lord, for, for, your, for your people, for those who are claiming the name of Christ, who have trusted in Christ, I pray you would help us trust your shepherding leadership and trust the leaders that you have placed in this place. God, for those who have not trusted in you, as we are about to enter into the Lord's table communion, I pray that they would see their deepest need is for the good shepherd who laid down his life for them. That this morning they would not partake of the juice and the bread, but they would partake of the greater reality in receiving Christ as their Savior. Lord, maybe people this morning who are watching at home or here, they know of Jesus Christ. Maybe they grew up in the church, but they've walked away. They never knew you personally. Maybe this morning they would cry out to you in true repentance and faith and say, Jesus, I know that I've wandered. I know that I've sinned. I'm turning to you in faith and I receive you as my Savior. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would cry out to Jesus in faith and receive the gift of eternal life. And Lord, as we prepare as your people to partake of the bread and the cup as it pictures your blood and your body, may this further remind us we need you and it further reminds us how thankful we are for the local church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.